the show that goes there. This is the Shaggy Chicken Show on the Pacifica Radio Network. It's the Shaggy Chicken Show on the Pacifica Radio Network. Welcome to it. Boy, do we have a fun-filled episode today. We'll be talking about a post-Trump America and, well, one scary aspect of what that could entitle. Uh, We'll also talk a little bit about Trump and the White House and, well, further down the spiral. But one thing that I positively don't want to talk about is... It's the border speech itself, because I'm going to save that for tomorrow's program and Chris Bass and our week in review, because there's just so much stuff to unpack in eight minutes. We've got a lot of stuff to unpack during the course of this show. Hi, I'm your host, critical thinker, problem solver, a guy just left of normal insane, but always centered in common sense. My name is Shaggy Jenkins. If you want to find me, go to my website, shaggyjenkins.com, or wherever fine social media is served at Shaggy Live. This guy is the program director for FYI Nation, one of their co-founders, host of the show, Some Say. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Thomas Reynolds. Hey, Shaggy, how are you? Well, so far, so good today. Okay, uh, I kind of wanted to start off by saying, did you, okay, did you in fact watch Donald Trump's border speech or... Did you watch the alternative programming offered by one Stormy Daniels on her Instagram live? Did you did you hear about that or or you've already oh. seen it? Oh, come on. I'm going to watch the and deal with Stormy Daniels. That that's just Stormy or Trump? Stormy or Trump? Which are you going to watch? I mean, and I'm bisexual, so I'm going to go with Stormy Daniels. Well, I mean, Considering that one described the other as a character from Mario Brothers. Yeah, okay, just going to throw that out there. But uh, this is kind of the best counter-programming that you can hope. Because, uh, of course, everybody was going to make a big deal about the Democrats saying, we want equal time, we want equal time. And, of course, conservative media took issue with that. However, one of the greatest kind of celebrity counter-programming stunts was pulled by somebody that was <clears throat> kind of under this whole I'm out to get you vibe with Donald Trump. Now, the reason why, there's a non-disclosure order, there's a lot of stuff that was tied up with the Michael Cohen case, and it's it's a whole ugh, cornucopia of BS that we're not going to get into. But the funniest thing is, is that whenever you want to kind of, I guess, inspire the ire the, the, the absolute hatred of the president. Taking away his media glory is a good way to start, isn't it? Oh, yeah. It, it's it's the perfect uh, foil for this uh, uh, El Duce in chief. It, it, it's really great. And uh, whenever you can foil the orange menace, I'm all for it, considering the Democratic Party seems to have such a tough jo- job doing it themselves. Oh, yeah. And, and here's the thing, because the Democrats really could have went harder and just said, look, not only is this an outright fact, well, okay. I don't want to talk about it, but this is the thing that I that we really importantly have to bring up. What happens after a Donald Trump presidency? Now, last week on the show, me and you had talked about some predictors going forward for the year about how Donald Trump could possibly resign or leave office Uh, under a whole cloud of investigation and indictments by the end of 2019. But, But before we even talk about the 2020 race, we need to talk about what would happen 
if Donald Trump was no longer president and the man behind him, Mike Pence. Now, Thomas, would you say that Mike Pence is the sickest of sycophants for Donald Trump? Yeah, and it's pretty amazing because all he ends up looking like is a sad and pathetic lapdog. I mean, he he makes uh, Chris Christie look like he has a spine, and that's pretty hard to do. Well, the, the, the funny thing is, as a lot of people have pointed this out time and time again, when Do- Donald Trump has had these pressers, Mike Pence goes into this immediate kind of, thank you, Mr. President. It's almost like a prayer to a false idol. Something very much against his Judeo-Christian beliefs, I'm sure. But in this prayer to the golden god of Donald Trump, Mike Pence always kinds of thanks him for things that he actually had nothing to, to do with. Now, when it comes to Donald Trump's defense, this case of re-exaggerating a border crisis, border, and I'm going to throw up the air quotes on that word, crisis, Mike Pence has been known to do exactly the same methodology of one Donald J. Trump, an outright lie. Tom? Thomas? Tommy boy? Should we should we really be, like, tucking our heads between our knees right now and kissing our, as they say in Hawaii, Okole's goodbye? Um... No, I don't. I don't think so. I think if as long as the Democratic Party holds strong with this, I I think most normal people and rational people um, w- see that the Democratic Party is right, and that even on on a normal spectrum of what the amount that they're asking for is not enough to get the wall. This is a minimal amount of funding, right? So I think that this is just one more fight that he had to pick because of people like Rush Limbaugh and Ann Coulter and those people going after him, and he can't handle that. So that's why you have Mike Pence always kissing his feet, we'll, we'll say, yeah. <laughs> keep it clean, as clean as possible. Uh, yeah, because if we get any closer to Donald Trump's ass, let's just go ahead and throw this out there. That would be something akin to behavior that Mike Pence doesn't like, because look, One of the biggest things that is kind of out there about Mike Pence is his advocacy for certain types of social reform. And and one of the biggest controversies that he was, I guess you could say, embroiled in when he was uh, in charge of Indiana, uh, this is the thing that that, that really he kind of made a linchpin on when the whole um, marriage protection acts were coming out. Mike Pence was a huge fan of, and kind of actively endorsed them, gay conversion therapy. And this is something very scary, because when we talk about Donald Trump and, you know, his transgender ban from the military, his, his saying, I was fan, I, was, I, I have so many fans in the LGBTQ community, and then going absolutely against them, taking away their protections for federal jobs, taking away workplace uh, protection laws that were signed in effect under Obama. Time and time again, Mike Pence has seen not just complicit but gleeful when it comes to the persecution of the LGBTQ community. Now, Thomas, I got to ask you something. A lot of people 
on that 32, dropping down to about 31% of, of base that still support Donald Trump and Mike Pence, how many of them would you believe believe in the <clears throat> scientific accuracy and proof of concept of gay conversion therapy? Well, if I was going to go hyperbolic, I'd say none of them because they don't believe in climate change, so they can't believe in science. But that being said, um, I'd probably say maybe five to ten percent of the Donald Trump supporters and sycophants would actually also believe in gay conversion therapy because, you know, right away. Well, this is the thing about this, because uh, people are going, what? With all this stuff that, that's going on, the government shut down, why are we talking about gay conversion therapy? Because this is one of the, 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 the cornerstones of the personality of Mike Pence. And as long as we're going to talk about the lying side of Mike Pence that is becoming more and more evident in these last couple of days as they're escalating the government shutdown, Mike Pence has been complicit in standing by while the, the LGBTQ community in his state of Indiana, and now at, at a national level, he stands by and almost gleefully watches their rights taking away. And, and I want to bring up this one example, Thomas, because this was a conversation. It was, bought, it was brought forth in the book uh, Fire and Fury. You remember the Bob Woodward book? Uh, it, yep. it was talking about the meeting that Donald Trump was hiring, uh, was having in the White House, where they brought up the issues of gays. And to that, Donald Trump says, don't Ask Mike, he wants to hang them all. And as, as jokey as that's supposed to be from Donald Trump, I'm sure that Dave Chappelle would approve that joke, but as jokey as that was supposed to be, like all comedy, there's a lot of element and truth in a statement like that about Mike Pence, isn't there? No, absolutely. And that's that's one of the scary things is he's so willing to go after one community. What makes you think that he won't be willing to go after another, especially if it suits his and justified the means type of uh, personality that personality that he seems to have. Right. So if he's willing to go after the LGBTQ community with such vengeance, well, if it's going to support the Trump agenda and the Trump Pence White House, why would he not go gleefully down the Rainbow Road, if you will, to support a border wall and everything else that Trump wants to do to the Hispanic community? Well, this is one of the things that always has kind of bothered me about the, 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 the Mike Pence attitude towards the LGBTQ community is that he thinks they're an abomination. He doesn't dislike them. He doesn't regard them as, as just an element of society he doesn't agree with. He thinks of them, from a theological sense, as a biblical abomination. And, I mean, let's just be honest, he's appeared at uh, controversial things like the Family First organization, which is very, very LGBTQ. Uh, he's, he's also given voice to other gay conversion uh, kind of pastors in the past only to find out that those pastors were were linked up to some pretty horrible human rights abuses during their <clears throat> conversion therapy and the reason that this story is kind of important is because 
online lately, and I know this is going to seem like a shock to everybody here, if you read the Gay Star News, that's a publication. Um, there's a story that they, and, and you got to think of them as kind of like the, 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 the TMZ and media takeout of, of gay culture. But one of the things that they brought up in, a, in kind of a sensational story is this this guy that basically said he changed his sexuality by stopping being sexual. And as, as weird as, and I mean, I'm talking World Weekly News kind of weird trying to read that story and, and make sense of it. As weird as it is, there is kind of a dangerous element to stories like that appearing in places like that because... Thomas, could this possibly be, and I, I don't, I don't know of any other way to explain this. Could this possibly be the LGBTQ community engaging in a little self hatred and saying, "Hey, you know, we we could be we could be straight if we want to." Yeah, no, unintentionally self-inflicted harm is what they're doing. By publishing this story and, and glorifying this guy because of his previous lifestyle, they're now saying to anybody who is against or the LGBTQ community, look, this guy did it. He, he changed himself without our therapy. Imagine what you can do with our therapy. They're, they're literally in endorsing something that most LGBTQ community groups uh, go against. I just did an article on some say about uh, the blaze covering a Christian group that was banned from Apple's iTunes because they supported conversion therapy and uh, the LGBT groups were happy to go against this but here we have a prominent gay publication that's online celebrating almost this uh john mccain quotes as i like to say conversion and it it, it bothers as someone who's bi and and faces a lot of hardship being bi because i'm not quite in the straight community not quite in the gay community by people's eyes and standards it really bothers me that this guy will just say yeah i'm straight now you know, I, I, yeah. usually when people ask me, because I am very cisgender, hetero, straight, sexual, barely sexual, if you ask my wife, and, and that hurts just in a ouch personal level. But uh, the one safe thing I think we can say is is if you're if you're a bisexual, you don't really exist in any sort of steady support within the LGBT. Remember, that letter is in there, LGBTQ community, as much as you would think. And when people talk about bisexuality as something that is like a light switch, that you basically switch one or the other, never kind of that whole fluid thing that we actually understand about human sexuality, um, when you have people out there that associate bisexuality with a switch that you can just throw one way or the other, it's kind of dangerous for an article like this to come out because they're thinking, well, you know, if a gay man can do it and a, and, and a gay woman can do it, then, of course, bisexuals should just choose heterosexuality. And that's a very kind of dangerous thought precedent to have, isn't it? 
No, absolutely. Because at present I have a girlfriend, right? And I'm, I'm happy with her. We have a great sexual relationship, not bragging here, but it, it, when it happens, it's not bad. And, um, it, it, it works for us. And, we're open and honest about what works for us in our relationship. She knows that I check out guys like some guys check out women. But that being said, it's not an off and on switch for me where I just said, okay, I'm seeing my girlfriend right now. I'm only interested in women. You know, that it doesn't work that way. But this article that we're talking about, it portrays it as if it does. And that really bothers me. And it goes to the Mike Pence way of thinking and that conservative mindset. Well, why don't you just pray it away? Why don't you just think it? And, and this isn't just like, if you want to get it in a more broad perspective of it, it's not just... Uh, issue of uh being lgbtq it can go to people dealing with depression anxiety certain other health mental health issues because there are plenty of people who will tell me when i discuss these issues why can't you just turn it off why can't you just make it stop shouldn't you be able to make your anxiety stop no i wish it, i could but i can't you know, and for people not to grasp that because they don't have it or their anxiety is so little that it doesn't bother them, that's great for them, but that doesn't work for everybody. One of the things that is kind of, uh, I want to say, disheartening about stories like this is, look, the gay community, the LGBT community, has already had a, a historical hard time in the United States when it comes to acceptance. So much so. That even in my my life, I remember certain gay friends coming up and saying things like, you know what, if only I weren't gay, things would be better. If only I could throw a switch and be straight, I could be accepted by everybody and that would make my life so much more in, enriching. And, and sadly, in the LGBTQ community, there is that undercurrent of thought of acceptance is better than satisfaction with self. Of living an honest life is actually a, a secondary thing to being accepted by your peers. So when we talk about a Mike Pence post-Donald Trump presidency, specifically with the, 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 the interests of the LGBTQ community, this is a guy that would unprecedentedly go after them in ways that Donald Trump hasn't. Do you agree? Oh, absolutely. And, and not just the LGBTQ community, just to keep it on the border wall and what's happening this week with the shutdown, that goes to any community that is a minority-like community. We have to be cherishing of these communities and hold fast and strong to our beliefs. Otherwise, these communities are get lost in the shuffle, and Mike Pence will happily walk all over them because Mother said so. You know, the thing that, that really bothers me is, is when you bring up a point like that, Thomas, oh boy, you, it kind of hurts because it's one of those things, it's funny because it's true. true. Um, when we're talking about the, the, the whole attitude towards minority communities in the United States— there does seem to be a pattern of first they come from their mu the, the Muslims, then 
They're all about going after the Mexicans. Then the transgenders. It's, it's, it's like that old parable. First they came for the communists, then they came for the socialists, then they came for me, and there was nobody left to defend us. They do seem to be, when it comes to minority representation in the United States, very much in a let's just wipe out all of representation of culture that does not reflect us, white, cisgendered, older male society. No, you're absolutely right, Shaggy. And one of the things I cover on Some Say a lot is how, thanks to Right Wing Watch, is how these uh, radical right preachers talk. And Mike Pence supports these people. He is totally okay with these people. In fact, he goes to their summits, he prays with them and everything else, and so does Donald Trump. So this is why it's not surprising that he's on the ticket. And this is why if there was a Mike Pence presidency, why we shouldn't all be scared. And in fact, I'll go so far as to say terrified without using hyperbolic language because he has proven himself to align these people. I mean, they were happy. I don't know if you know who Pastor James David Manning is, but they were happy to align themselves with him, an African-American preacher in Harlem who was interviewed by the Young Turks uh, about a year and a half ago who believed that Starbucks was putting semen in the coffee to make it taste better. I mean, this is a level of crazy that they they deal with, and they're more than happy as long as you have that worldview to agree with them. They'll accept you. It's when you diverge from the worldview is when they get angry. Just look at Ann Coulter and Rush Limbaugh and how they reacted this past week. Yeah, and and that's just it. It, There seems to be ever-increasingly kind of a diminishing, and we're going to talk about this in the second half of the show, a decreasing evangelical base of support, but the support that they do enjoy from this very hard-right very, very conservative. Uh, I, I don't want to call them um, the 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 old, you know, what did they call them? The the moral majority back in the eighties. Yeah, they're back. Ooh. But uh, the, the the thing is, is these people, specifically these people, as they support Donald Trump and Mike Pence, and and this is the scary part because after Donald Trump's out of office, if he goes before his term is up, it will be Mike Pence. And as such, Mike Pence is always very, very willing to accept these outlandish and ever-increasing demands from the diminishing base just to ensure that they don't run away as well. And Thomas, when, when we talk about the Trump base, is this a case of the, the, the rider leading the horse to water or the, the horse dragging the rider to the water? I think it's a little bit of both, but I think that Trump and Pence are so willing to um, say these things and act this way that it really doesn't matter, right? Because they are willing to act in a way that is abnormal, that is a defiance of logic and reason. So they're going on an emotional level just back to the story where this guy um, declared that he he was straight after being uh, not being with men or women for a year. Um, that would be something that normal, rational people would be like, how can you choose that? 
How 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 is that all of a sudden a choice? Because Shaggy, I, I I can't go to you and say, Shaggy, when did you choose to be straight? What? Give me the moment and time that you said you decided that you were going to be straight. I bet you you can't do that because it's an impossible journey for you. Well, I'm be I'm I'm from the south, so I can be painfully obvious when I say this. I realized that I was straight the minute that I I, I knew that gay men had a dress code that I could not afford. Coming from a trailer park, I have no sense of taste. I can't tell you what foods are good. I, my house is a mess. I mean, I just, I looked at my qualifications, my resume, as it were, and I was like, no man would have me. I guess I'm straight. <laughs> well, you know, that's why you got a wonderful woman by your side. That you know. Yeah, that, but this, this is the thing, because as as much as we joke about these issues and try to make light of them, if you are a member of the LGBTQ community, would you say that now in the uh, um, United States is a time of, of joy and jubilation or a little bit of panic? It's a little bit of panic because people don't realize that there are, uh, for the transgender community, there are a lot of high rates. Of, I don't have the statistics that the tip of my fingers but there are a lot of high rates of suicide there are a lot of people who are afraid to come out because they could lose their job um and just to go state by state right to work states can fire you for any reason so one of those reasons you come out and you get married oh great you got married oh guess what you lose your job because the guy doesn't like the fact that you got married and that's a fireable offense and people don't realize that you gain one uh, advantage in society which which is the advantage of being able to get married as a gay couple you lose another because you never really had it in the first place yeah it does seem like this boils down to sadly another tale of a fight for civil rights in america no you're absolutely right and that's one of the things that we have to be cognizant of with the trump pence presidency whether it's mike pence or donald trump you're not going to get that willingness to look at the other as a humane human being right they're gonna all only see them as the other whether it's uh, we're talking about the people at the border or whether it's the lgbtq community it as long as it meets their political needs to stir up trouble they will do it to be able to keep their base happy and that's what it's all about well, when we get back, we're going to talk about the big ways that Donald Trump is not making anybody happy, including himself, and more. It's the Shaggy Jenkins Show. listening to 60 Second Civics from the Center for Civic Education. I'm Mark Gage. With today's podcast, we begin a series on how Congress performs its functions in the American constitutional system. The Constitution says little about how the House or the Senate should function. Article 1, Section 5 states only that each chamber may determine the rules of its proceedings. The first Congress, which was held from 1789 to 1791, 
set a precedent that is followed to this day by creating committees and adopting rules that govern how each house functions. Both the House and the Senate have standing or permanent committees. Each committee, such as the House Agriculture Committee or the Senate Appropriations Committee, has jurisdiction over particular subjects and appoints subcommittees to examine proposals within specific areas. In committees and subcommittees, proposals can be examined carefully and various perspectives heard. It is common for these committees and subcommittees to hold public hearings to receive testimony from individuals and groups on matters of interest to them. One important function of Congress is to hold oversight hearings, during which members of administrative agencies may be called on to testify regarding how they carry out laws enacted by Congress. Thank you for listening to today's podcast, 60 Second Civics where civic engagement only takes a minute. Hi, we're the Goo Goo Dolls. We're fortunate that we can give our daughters everything they need to grow and learn, but not every child can focus on classes and play dates. Nearly 13 million kids in the U.S. face hunger. That's one in six. School lunch might be their only meal each day, And it's heartbreaking to imagine any child going to bed hungry. We're dreaming of a perfect day when kids can smile, play, and just be kids without worrying about where their next meal will come from. Feeding America is working to make that perfect day a reality. Each year, the Feeding America network of food banks rescues billions of pounds of good food that would have gone to waste. That food is given to families and children in need. Being a kid should be about doing things that make an ordinary day extraordinary. Learning to play an instrument, building a sandcastle, hosting tea parties. Hunger should never be an obstacle to growing up. You can help end childhood hunger in your community by visiting feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. News from the left and the right. From the guy a bit off center and slightly out of his mind. It's the Shaggy Jacob Show on the Pacifica Radio Network. It's the Shaggy Chicken Show on the Pacifico Radio Network and other fine stations across the United States. If you've never heard of this show before, what the hell have you been doing with your life? You can always find out about me at my website, shaggychickens.com, or wherever fine social media is looked over by those good comrades in FSB for information of political leanings uh, at Shaggy Live. Joining me from his bunker down location, because I'm going to go ahead and tell you today, it feels like like we should be hiding in one. Please welcome back from FYI Nation and host of the show, some say, it's Thomas Reynolds. Yes, I am underground. I found where Dick Cheney's secret hideaway was. Um, Christian Bale told me where it was. Um, and it's very close to hell, apparently. So Yeah, as most things, at least if you're in the member of the GOP lately, most things are right next door to hell. And that's kind of where I want to start the second half of the show, because we were talking about Mike Pence and, and one of the dangerous thoughts that he has that could actually tilt public policy at a federal level dangerously in the wrong direction for the LGBTQ community. But now I want to concentrate on the man that is still president, Donald Trump. Now, Aside from the border speech, because we we all know that that was a little bit of Donald Trump performance art trying to say that, look at this tragedy, look at all this stuff. He used a bunch of fake numbers and things like that. But putting aside that speech, Thomas Reynolds, please tell us, has Donald Trump had a very 
stress-free week so far? I'd say that this is probably not one week that he'd be looking back proudly upon, um, whether it be the border wall or the fact that Kim Jong-un went to China um, this week, which nobody is really talking about. And it's just one of those weeks where he should be on a better pedestal and could have just been relaxing. Instead, he's putting up this unnecessary fight like he always seems to, right? He always creates a mess, and we can seem to continue with his mess that he creates. Oh, yeah, because when we're talking about messes, there is a big, big mess going on right now in the White House that we have to talk about, and we kind of mentioned it in the first part of the show. Donald Trump's base as, well, since the midterms, has been slowly kind of eroding, and now the base, as, as it were, is, is kind of like a, a reduction in food. It's, it's all of the water and volume is actually gone, and you're left with kind of the pure substantive elements. And those pure substantive elements of Donald Trump's base, uh, this week has started to utter some words that that are kind of telling for American civilization. Now, this this we're pulling from an article from CNN Politics. And, and Thomas, I'm going to ask you, if you're Donald Trump, what would be the 10 most harmful words to your public image that you could hear right now? Um, I can't say it on the air. <laughs> um, but uh, it, it starts with an M and ends with an F. So for 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 those who might not for five iterations, yes, yeah. In, in other words, <clears throat> it's it's what Samuel L. Jackson would shout into a writer's room when they're asking him for dialogue for his new character in any movie he's in. But th- th- this yes. is the thing because I I love this. Uh, did you know out of Canada, the first Canadian female prime minister? reads all of this stuff about Donald Trump and goes on to Twitter and actually goes, my God, they're right. He is a... And, and yeah, no, it, it, it was great. It, it's been uh, it's been a cathartic relief, quite frankly, for progressives like me. Yeah. Well, yeah. let's let's talk a little bit about the, uh, that mofoer, uh, because here's the thing about Donald Trump. His base here lately, has been saying some very telling things. And, and this article that we're pulling from CNN uh, Politics has the 10 most harmful words to Donald Trump's presidency. And I I didn't know, one, because I missed this whole segment, I didn't know that somebody had said this on national news. And I, I really didn't know how to comprehend it, to make sense of it, when I read it. Here's the 10 words that should scare the hell out of Donald Trump right now. According to this op-ed piece, quote, he's not hurting the people he needs to be hurting, end quote. Thomas, when you consider Donald Trump's base, one of his supporters, said something like he's not hurting the people he needs to be hurting, what do you think that, that implies for the support of Donald Trump? I, I think it hurts the supporters. Um, 
uh, who who are the sycophants because they're not going to continue to be that way, right? So he he needs to be her hurting, focusing focusing in on the people that he's supposedly going after, but he's not. And I think that's what the statement by the supporter was saying and going for. I I think they were going after they're they're going after Americans and these guys don't want. It's make America great again. They don't want the regular Americans to be gone after. But to be fair, we just had a whole segment before the break where we talked about people that are specifically targeted by this administration. And oh my God, we even mentioned that you're in those crosshairs too. So when you hear somebody in Trump's base say he's not hurting the people he needs to be hurting... As a person that is in those crosshairs, shouldn't you be going, oh God, I'm glad he's not hurting me, but at the same time, his base thinks I need to be hurt. And that's really telling for Donald Trump, isn't it? Well, yeah, it is. But that's the whole thing with the conservative movement that I talked about earlier. They have to go after the other. And when they're not there, they check off a box on which other they're going to go after today where, where it meets their ideological needs. So if they're not going after the other that they want to go after, they're going to complain and make a stink about it, just like this uh, happened with the whole start of the border wall crisis that again, is a made up manufactured crisis. And if anything, I would call for more border security at the airports and bridges and tunnels than what we're dealing with if we're going to be realistic about it as opposed to a wall, considering what was it? Four or six people are the only ones amount that uh, NBC reported were actually crossing the border and documented as um, terroristic threatening ways. Yeah, and let's let's keep in mind because when we're talking about border security amongst the big stretch of the southern United States, and we brought this up on the show with Drew Landry, a guy that's actually a resident of Texas, what really amounts to a lot of hoopla on the national level in that region amounts to a lot of empty spaces, time staring off into nothing for border agents. And then when they're finally encountering somebody that's coming up from the southern border, nine out of ten times, actually 99.99% times, very, very, very small, infinitesimal fraction of people come through here with bad intentions. But most of the time, border guards are encountering people that are fleeing terrible war zones, human rights atrocities, murder from cartels and they're 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 coming to this country and applying for asylum which by the way is kind of recognized as a legal thing that they can do so when donald trump talks about a crisis he should instead reflect on the crisis of all of these refugees not migrant caravan all these refugees not being able to find safe harbor in a country that makes bringing in immigrants from dangerous parts of the world and giving them a better life, the cornerstone of one of its its societal thoughts. What are your thoughts, Thomas? 
No, I think you're absolutely right. He should he should change the tack of what he's saying. But if he did, he'd lose his base. And right now, Donald Trump and Mike Pence need to keep that base and keep them happy because if they lose the base, they lose the fact that they may win 2020. The one of the problems and what I keep saying on my show and on the internet is that if the Democratic Party can't get its act together for 2020, they're going to lose to Donald Trump. And the reason I say that is Donald Trump already has his base sewn up. They're not going to – Mike Pence, if Mike Pence is the guy who runs, he's not going to have to have any debates. They don't have a debate commission for the RNC. They're going to push whoever is the guy for 2020. It doesn't matter. So you get rid of damaged goods, you know, orange men. It doesn't matter because Mike Pence will still go on as the presidential nominee and win the Republican nomination because there's not going to be any fight and it's not going to be Mitt Romney. It's not going to be anybody else because the Republican Party has already said no to that. They've closed that down. And so we have to continually see this made up manufactured crisis and this guy continually just playing to his base. Yeah, well, when we talk about this base that he plays to, they're always after somebody has to be hurt mentality. And that's one of the most troubling things about a statement like that. Because what it implies is that, one, these people believe that it was Donald Trump's mission to be elected to president to cause harm to their enemies. And, and two, Here's the part that should scare the hell out of Donald Trump. A statement like he's not hurting the people he's supposed to be hurting implies that this very strong supporting base that he enjoys feels the hurt. And now they're saying, we elected you to harm our enemies. Why are you attacking us? How scary of a thought is that for GOP? It's it's very scary because it implies that we don't give in, these people on the on the right enough credit for being woke. They are woke in their own way, right? They're not woke while we are where we see problems. They are woke in the way that they see the fallacies of of things that are wrong in their own vision, right? And if they don't see what's being things being corrected in the way their vision stands out, they're going to look for somebody else, but there is nobody else. So who are they going to go to? Maybe a libertarian candidate that might be better than Gary Johnson, but I, even I doubt that. I think Trump, I, if Trump, I almost called him Crump. If Trump can continue on the way, the way he is, right? Yeah. He's to do just fine. It's the problem is that the the base has to be kept happy. And so far, for the most part, I I I I'm a masochist. I like to listen to right wing radio a lot, and I, the base is happy. They're just not happy with him not doing enough, and they blame the Democrats. As long as they keep blaming the Democrats, they're going to be fine on the Republican side. Yeah, because. That's the, the, the narrative that they've stuck to, not just with the border thing, not just with the government shutdown. Time and time again, this is the Democrats' fault. This is, even though we have blatantly done it, claimed ownership of it, at, waved in front of reporters as we're going in and out of the White House rotunda saying, yeah, we did it. The narrative is now, ah, no, it's the Democrats' fault, it's the Democrats' fault. 
it's the Democrats' fault. The problem is, is that that narrative is starting to get tiring even to the base who is going, okay, if it's the Democrats' fault, aren't you supposed to be hurting them as well? Why aren't you hurting them? Why are you still hurting me? Uh, when did we get to a country that demands our politicians hurt our enemies? Well, I think it's uh, when we started blaming Jimmy Carter, a guy who never got us into a war, as a horrible president. Right? He 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 tried to he tried to make peace with Iran, and we had R Ronald Reagan saying, "Don't re release the hostages. We're going to make a deal, and we're going to trade arms for hostages." Uh, this I I think it's then, but it could even be argued that it's even further back to people like Richard Nixon, who said, "You know what? I'm not going to stop." The Vietnam War because it's not in my interest. We're going to keep it going, and you wait for me to get get peace to Vietnam. So you can argue either point that that's when it started, but it's it's been a long happening trend. We're just so uh, enamored with social media now. We see it every day. We can't get away with not seeing it. So when people take breaks from social media, they're almost relieved that they don't have to deal with the news. Well. This is something that was kind of weird because uh, social media breaks seem to have been timed over the last midterm election strategically by one particular group that draw, let's just say it drew a lot of national attention. And here in Hawaii, where we do have a large population of people following the Mormon faith, it did seem a little suspect when... Okay, half of our island disappeared from social media right around the time of the midterm election. It appeared that the president of the Mormon Church, besides saying that now we should refer to it only as the Church or the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, no more Mormon Church, no more Mormon, period. Uh, around the same time that he was making that big bombastic statement, he was also telling his congregation to take a break from social media. And one of the things that it kind of implies is that, and Thomas, I'm going to ask you how troubling this is. Increasingly under Donald Trump, evangelicals have used the pulpit for political purposes. And when it came to the midterm election and the Mormon president saying that the Mormon church shouldn't be online, it kind of seemed strategically timed in the lead-up to the election so that they couldn't be informed going into the polls. Now, what role do you see evangelicals currently, because we know about their, their support in Donald Trump's initial start, but what role do you see evangelical support for Donald Trump playing now? I think it's still pretty big. I think it's still worrisome. Uh, you got people like Jerry Falwell uh, Jr. willingly defending Donald Trump and his actions and almost attacking Jesus Christ, right? A, a guy who is supposed to be his savior and, and Lord and is certainly mine. And it's troublesome that we have people like that just willingly able to go out and attack people and 
and for their own benefit and Donald Trump's benefit. And it goes back to our initial conversation. And as long as they're attacking the other, whichever other it is, it satisfies them. But it goes also to this conversation that we're having right now. If they don't feel that they're attacking the right person or the attacks are being stymied, they get agitated. So they have to lash out and they're going to lash out to a point at the people who create this mess in the first place, which is Donald Trump and Mike Pence. You know, and when we talk about creating trouble, evangelicals have tried time and time again to create trouble in the American politi- uh, political process. Um, back in the 80s, there was the moral majority led under, by that time, Jerry Falwell Sr. Remember that whole big movement against every sort of social progress that was trying to happen during the 80s? It, it actually stymied it for a full decade. Yeah, no, your your uh, description of it is absolutely correct. Big movement, because that's exactly what I pictured in my mind about Jerry Falwell. And that's not a fat joke, it's another kind of joke. Yeah, yeah, and it has to do with the amount of BS that this man seemed to have dropped all around social issues, going on radio shows, going on television shows at the time, and basically saying that, look, America is in a, ready for the words, moral crisis... And as such, the moral majority is here to ensure that we put politicians in office that will help save the integrity or the soul of the nation. But, as we've mentioned time and time again, it does seem to be kind of wearing thin with Donald Trump's base the fact that they are so, this is coming from an atheist, unchristlike in the Donald Trump administration. Uh, what do you think, uh, Thomas? Uh, I gotta ask because this is one of those questions that's burning in my brain. What do you think is going through the mind of somebody that is currently still in the pulpit, preaching that Donald Trump was sent from God to write the moral compass of America? Oh, I, if I go down that rabbit hole, I'm afraid I'll never get out. Oh. <laughs> But it's very weird to me that they're willing to go that route, right? Because this is a guy who said grab him by the hoo-ha and all this other stuff about women. And and it has these weird ways of uh, describing people and and, um, things he doesn't like. And yet they're willing to accept that and, and go down that rabbit hole. So I honestly, I don't know. Um, and uh, this is coming from a former conservative's point of view, too, where I, I, use, I, I don't recognize the conservative movement. I don't re- recognize Republicans. And I guess maybe I'm a Democratic Socialist because I never did. Well, the thing is, is a lot of the old centrist GOP members of the past find themselves uh, misaligned with the current party's way kind of far right thinking. A lot of centrist Republicans are, just like you, going, this is not the party I recognize. This is the party that we were actually against just two short decades ago. But I got to ask, when it comes to evangelical support, will it be there again in 2020? I think, as of right now, I'm going to say 90% yes. 
he really has to fumble the ball. And this is Donald Trump we're talking about, so it's possible. He has to fumble the ball big time. But I think as long as you have the Ted Cruz coalition, I think he's going to be okay. And that's coming from somebody who does not want him to win. I I get come across as somebody who thinks that I, I want him to win because I'm projecting that he will. No, I want I want the Democratic Party to get its act together. But until you have the people in the Democratic Party not just acting like human beings, but coming forth as as them and not just like trained uh, politicians, we're not going to win because one thing about Donald Trump is he comes across as somebody who is genuine in the fact that he will say whatever is on his mind. And that is the most winning thing he has for him. And God, I'm talking like him now. I know. I know. But no, no, no. There there is a point to your, your ranting and ravings there. Donald Trump goes out and tells quote unquote, the little guy, that he's for them time and time again, despite all of his actions being to the detriment of the quote unquote little guy, Donald Trump, by telling them time and time again that what he's doing is in their best interest, that he's only thinking about him when them when he does these things, he kind of reinforces this uh, perceived value of care. And Democrats aren't really good right now. I mean, especially with all of the warm and fuzziness that is Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer, the Democrats aren't really good about embracing a message that says, look, we care about you, the individual, as well as the country. Wouldn't you agree? You're you're, you're absolutely right. The message gets lost because the Democratic Party is so very hard at stressing how much they do care because they're too busy fighting about policy and and being asked how much it's going to cost and explaining that as opposed to saying what does it matter? Like uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez this past week was great in saying, well, why are you not asking about the cost of the border wall? Why are you not asking about the cost of all these other things that the the rich get? So why are we the ones that are always asked how we're going to pay for it? That was the best answer you could give. And what the Democratic Party has to do is fight back in that radical way because Donald Trump has never said who's going to pay for the wall except for Mexico. And we all knew that was a lie, but people believed him and people didn't care because it sounded good it sounded like it was coming from the heart because god forbid he said it authoritarian in a fashion that sounded like it was not something generic that um you got from one of those websites that you can get a whole bunch of graphics that all look the same from right Right. it came off a genuine original idea yeah, but the, the the thing about his genuinely original ideas, and we're going to run out of time here in just a, a moment or two, but when it comes to his genuine good ideas with the evangelical base, it's kind of split them into the, hey, this isn't adherent to our Judeo-Christian values, and the other crowd, which is starting to go into, the devil is coming after Donald Trump because God himself sent him to write America. And the problem with America right now is, is too many pulpits are mixing this message of, of God appointing Trump versus him 
kind of getting into office by what we're seeing is an increasingly manipulated electoral process. Uh, what are the consequences for the rest of America should evangelicals never find themselves woke? Um, I, I think we'll have another 2020 uh, Trump and stick it. And that that should scare everybody if the Democratic Party doesn't get somebody who can be formidable against them. Yeah, well, I mean, right now, uh, Joe Biden is out there saying that he's the only one that can stand up against the way of Donald Trump. But, well, we said it on this show. We're kind of predicting ugh, dark horse candidates to come out, both of the right and left side, that could actually make this thing way more interesting by the time we get to 2020. Okay, um, we got like, oh, God, I think, what, 30 seconds here. Thomas, where can people find you online? Uh, you can send me hate mail at doubtingtom at fynation.com, and I would love to get my first piece of hate mail, so do send it at doubtingtom at fynation.com. And you could also send me a voicemail call at 810-479-4394. I'd love to know what you thought of me and Shaggy and uh, how we're doing on, on this new format here on the Shaggy Jenkins Show. Yeah, I'm going to tell you, you are a brave man giving out the number because I never would. I know they would use it for bad purposes. Uh, that's all the time that we have got for today. Guys, join me tomorrow when we're joined with Chris Bass, and it's the Week in Review. Until next time, love you, mean it. Get in, bye. We are out.